Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 215th video cast podcast for the week ending November 30th, 2023. Uh, we'll kick it off here. Uh, no major developments on the family front, although uh, Mimi got invited to attend this Barcelona International Water Polo Academy that they did in Hamden. Connecticut, and that's with her friend Zadie, and they had a great time. That was a high-level thing. They've got a swim meet this weekend, and then a big one next week in Boston, uh, and then a big water polo thing in Oakland, California in January. So a lot of stuff coming up. Want to thank, uh, we'll do some quick media here. Want to thank Justin Oliver over at Yahoo Finance, along with Julie Hyman and Brian Sazi for having me on the show to pay a little tribute to Charlie Munger and this story that I'm going to relay is what what was actually the motivation behind us buying such a large position in Cooper Standard in May of 2022 at about 550 uh and that's been an amazing run we learned from the master here you go Simply put, Berkshire Hathaway would not be the same without Charlie Munger. It's a tall ask for someone to follow in the footsteps of someone so instrumental to Berkshire's success. But Munger himself noted in 2021 he believed Vice Chair Greg Abel would keep the culture at the investment conglomerate. And in a letter last week, Buffett acknowledged that at 93, his own time may soon come to a close. But assured shareholders Berkshire was built to last with more on the future now. Let's talk about Thomas, let's talk about more on the future. Thomas Hayes is joining us, Great Hill Capital Chairman and Managing Member, alongside Gregory Warren, Morningstar Senior Stock Analyst. Tom, let's start with you. Um, are you confident in this, you know, upcoming generation of Berkshire? As we've been talking about throughout the hour, we don't know nearly as much, or at least have not heard nearly as much at, from the likes of a Greg Abel as we have from Buffett and Munger. Well, there's no question uh, there's going to be full confidence in the future of Berkshire Hathaway. The businesses run themselves. You know, people are going to continue to get their ice cream at Dairy Queen. They're going to continue to use their iPhones. They're going to continue to save money on their insurance at Geico. You know, the the home office right now, the whole concept of a decentralized business, they have 26 employees at the home office and tens of thousands of employees throughout the operating subsidiaries. But I did want to say one quick thing about Warren Buffett. You know, a lot of people look at uh, about Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. They look at Charlie Munger as Warren's right-hand man. But I think people forget that Charlie was his own man, sometimes referenced as the Oracle of Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And I want to give you one key example that he did in 2001, which really inspired me and uh, hasn't been talked about a lot in the last 24 hours. He bought a little company himself uh, stock in a company called Tenneco. And Tenneco was actually kind of a Ben Graham net net. He always talks about buying uh, wonderful businesses at a fair price. This was a fair business at a wonderful price. The stock had fallen 80% from 2000 to 2001. He read about this company in Barron's. He said, I've been reading Barron's for 50 years and uh, I got one investment idea. Here's what he did. The stock was at $1.50, $1.50 to $2 down from $10. He bought $10 million worth. Within three, four years, the stock was up to 15. He made about $80 million between the stock and the debt that he bought. He took that $80 million and he gave it to Li Lu in the early 2000s when China was out of favor. And Li Lu turned the 80 million into a half a billion. So 
two chess moves, the Oracle of Pasadena turned $10 million of his own money into half a billion dollars. And I think people always forget that. And, you know, Munger always said, I didn't intend to get rich. I just wanted to become independent. I guess I overshot. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, uh, I wish I could uh, replicate. And we're back. So then I had the pleasure of joining Sean Caleb's on CGTN America on Friday night, uh, thanks to Camellia Kilowan. And we talked about the consumer and the outlook moving forward. And we're going to talk more about this record Thanksgiving spending and looking ahead to the rest of the holiday season. Joining us now, Thomas Hayes. He is the founder and chairman and managing member of Great Hill Capital. Thomas, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time on this busy shopping day. Thanks for having me, Sean. All-time high, $5.6 billion people spent online on Thanksgiving Day. Some time away from the uh, eating, obviously. Now, is the majority, obviously, of the shopping is done online. Uh, tell us how that has really shot up uh, in recent years. Yeah, well, there's no question. If you look forward to Cyber Monday, sales are expected to be up 6% year-on-year, uh, year, up to $12 billion. There's a lot of pessimism coming into this shopping season, but I would be long Santa Claus and short the Grinch. We think Santa Claus is going to come to town. Uh, you know, consumers have been grumpy all year if you look at the consumer sentiment surveys, and yet they keep spending. So you have to watch what they do, not what they say. We've also had some really good news in the stock market the last few weeks. I mean, it's, it's really moving up there. Uh, what kind of momentum uh, even you know, the kind of uh, thing that just builds on and gives people confidence to, to, to shop. What is that doing? I mean, what, what do people feel bad about? What should they feel good about? Well, you know, they, they say the secret to happiness is low expectations. And that's been the case with pretty much every single economic data point. If you look going into this, uh, this quarter's earnings season, expectations were that earnings were going to contract uh, 40 basis points, negative 0.4% year on year. Instead, they're up uh, 4.3% year on year. So I think we're going to have a similar situation in Q4. Uh, estimates up uh, plus 3%. They've been 300 basis points too pessimistic all year. We could see plus 5%, plus 6% in Q4. So the economy is doing a lot better. And it goes to never bet against the uh, U.S. consumer when they have a job. And as long as people have jobs, they're going to spend money. There's a lot of fear out there. Oh, there's a trillion dollars in credit card debt. But you have to put that in perspective. Uh, debt service as a percentage of household income is near multi-decade lows. So people have savings, people have earnings power, and people want to spend and enjoy and share. And I think uh, to the earlier segment of, of people giving used gifts to one another, I wouldn't make a huge bet on that. I think people are going to want to celebrate this year. Indeed. Um, I'm old enough to remember shopping, especially Black Friday, being almost a contact sport. And things have changed a lot in recent years. Are retailers concerned with tr trying to woo customers back in to stores as brick and mortar, or do they just, are they just happy as long as people spend? They're happy as long as people spend. You know, it's, it's called omni-channel now. They, you know, if the person comes to the store to pick it up or buy it in the store or get it shipped uh, online. If you look at the biggest searches for Black Friday, uh, it was Target, Walmart, Home Depot and Costco. All of those are brick and mortar stores. So people are searching those online and whether they get in their car and go to get it or place that order online, uh, it, it really makes no difference. The key is that they're shopping uh, and, and expectations are very low. You know, last year, the average household spent $833. 
This year, they're expected to spend 875. So that's up year on year. But uh, compared to 2021, they spent 879. So expectations here are very low. And I think they're going to be uh, happily exceeded. You know, I checked out one of my uh, email uh, earlier today, and it was just slammed with 30% off, 50% off, 40% off store wide. Are deals being offered earlier this year? And uh, it seems that it's now a week long event. Uh, Black Friday rather than just a day or so. Yeah, I think they have the latitude to do that. That's been a trend uh, over the last handful of years. As more and more business goes online, they can start it earlier and earlier, and people want to take advantage. And if you're the only retailer without a deal in Sean's uh, inbox, you're going to be left <laughs> behind because uh, Sean is uh, sitting home on Friday after that beautiful Thanksgiving uh, dinner and saying, uh, I want to buy gifts for all those wonderful people I spent time with yesterday, yeah, and, and Sean, how do I do it? Sean was here rooting out truth and justice on the anchor set last night, but, <laughs> but we'll make up for that. What kind of Fair discounts enough. are being offered? What are the best deals out there? What are, what are people really looking for? Well, you know, one of our holdings, we have Amazon, and, and Amazon is the toll taker for the American consumer. And, and if you're buying, their stock is flying, and I think uh, this year, they are going to be the toll taker. Uh, you're going to see different deals across all different retailers. And it's much easier. You know, if you think about when, when we were growing up, Sean, they would send out these circulars in the Sunday paper and you'd look at all these deals. Now it's so easy to just send out an email and have the discounts. People can click on it. They can order right online. So the companies like Amazon, the companies like Target, Walmart that are doing that uh, are going to benefit and people are going to want to take advantage of those deals. You know, you did have student loan payments kick in in October and that's why people got a little nervous about retail sales. You had the little uh, skirm uh, major skirmish in, in the Middle East, uh, the attack that was uh, kind of gave people a little caution in October. But I think that's now uh, people are, are reaccelerating. They're getting into the holiday spirit and uh, uh, those discounts are going to get people to take action on the loss leader, and then buy the other stuff that they need for their loved ones. Uh, Thomas, real quickly, Sean is one of these kind of people. If he sees something and he wants it, he instantly goes to Amazon. So what are yeah. people buying and how much money are they going to spend this year? Quickly. Well, the big things uh, this year, they're going to spend $875. I think it's going to be a lot more than expectations. Uh, yesterday, the big ones were Barbie, Marvel, and Nintendo. Uh, so we're seeing those toys. I think this year you're going to see a broad array of different things from clothing, a lot of catch up. And I think you're going to see more luxury than people expect. Everyone thinks it's only going to be value, but I mm. think the high end unique things are going to do well as, uh, in addition to that. I'm sure the retailers are cheering every word you said, Thomas. <laughs> Always a pleasure, my friend. Have a great holiday. We appreciate the time. Thanks, Sean. And we're back. So want to thank uh, Anna Tong. Zahir Kachwala, Anyana Miriam, Rajesh for including me in their article on Reuters uh, today, as well as uh, Chibuke Ogu for including me in the article about Charlie Munger, um, as well as, I just want to get this right. Um, Okay, the correct pronunciation is Chibike, Chibike Ogu, Chibike Ogu. Okay, so he had it in his email. That's really helpful. Thank you, Chibike. Always appreciate you thinking of me. Uh, and then I want to thank Bansari Kamdar, Suzanne McGee for including me in their article on Reuters as well. So let's get down to it with the man of the hour. 
Obviously, uh, a lot has been said about Charlie Munger. We'll say a few things on this. We said some in the, the video. But we'll start with his quote for the week, which is, the world is full of foolish gamblers. They will not do as well as the patient investors. And I would go on to say most of them won't be around to do as well as the patient investors. Um, so we're going to go into uh, the first thing I want to talk about is Rolls-Royce. Um, that's a position we've had for some time that we've talked about on the podcast. And uh, it's had a big week. Uh, so I think it closed today at, um, I don't know, 340, 340 around there. Um, this was a big play on the airline recovery. And the chief executive, Tufan Ergen Bilgik, was giving his kind of outlook. And the market got very excited because he's, got, he's doing a great job on the recovery to cut 500 million pounds of costs and generate 3.1 billion dollar pounds, uh, 3.1 billion pounds of free cash flow within three years. So the market really liked that. And I went back to take a look at the stock because we're up um, 3x, about 200% on the position uh, in a reasonably short period of time. Uh, yeah, so it's, it, you know, this, this has been a, a great move for us. And when you look here, you say, well, just wait and let this thing play out for a while because this thing's going to be a beast. And we agree, I think it's got some more upside here, but we did a little math on this. And when we got in in the low ones, I think it was like 130, depends on the account, 120, 130. Uh, and now it's you know approaching 350, so 3X, 200%. Um, there was, it was kind of a no brainer. You, you're, you're betting they're not gonna go bankrupt or get nationalized. And what you're seeing here is last year they did about two billion U.S. dollars in free cash flow. Let me see if I can make this a little smaller so you guys can see it. Um, all right. Well, I'm, you're just going to have to listen because it's it's going over to the right side here. But they did about two, two and a half billion in the last. Uh, that's I have it translated into U.S. dollars in the last uh, twelve months. Or we can even actually go to pounds. Is this? Yeah, this is Rolls Royce. So in pounds, they did about two billion of free cash flow. Uh, that's off two thousand. That's off peak cash flow in 2019, which was 1.5 billion. So that's interesting. So they actually have more free cash flow in the last 12 months than they did at their peak in 2019. They had 1.5 billion. And in 2019, the stock was trading at 15 and now it's trading at three. So you, or, or 340, okay? So you say, wow this thing is going straight back up to 14 and that would be a logical way to look at it except for the fact that during covid they increased the share count 
from 1.8 to 8.3. So they basically increased the share count, you know, 4x plus, almost 5x. Um, almost 5x. So basically the price that we're getting now is the equivalent to call it $16 a share. Now you say, okay, so we, in, in terms of per share, we're back over all time highs because of the amount of shares outstanding, but they're telling us that they're going to do even more free cash flow generation than they did in the past three years from now. So they're promising manana they're going to go and they're going to do about double what they did at the peak. Assuming everything goes perfect um, and they do double what they did at the peak, you're talking a $30 stock, but you have five times as many shares. So even with that said, you're looking basically at a capped upside of about five to six dollars three years out from now um if they get perfect execution so do i want to wait three years with a lot of execution risk for two more dollars uh or do i want to take some off the table at a you know three x 200 percent gain in a very short period of time and get the super high irr and redeploy in things that are just leaving the station. And the answer to the question is, we took off two thirds of the position, we rang the register, um, and it's not because we don't think it's got upside. And the reason we kept some of the position on uh, and expect to, although we could change our mind on that, we expect to keep some of the position on, is I do like their small nuclear reactor business that's going to become major in the future, but that's a call option uh, long in the future. I also am of the camp that just as things overshoot on the downside, they overshoot on the upside. The problem is, is they diluted the shares so much that this became more of a trade than an investment. And the fact that we got so much gain in such a short period of time uh, we don't want to be pigs, but we do want to keep a free option. So if you think in terms of keeping a third on, um, you know, all of our money and a meaningful profit is now off the table. And then we've got a free option on the overshoot, which could mean it goes to eight or nine just because people don't do the math and it gets pushed up or the company actually starts using the free cash flow to buy in the float uh, very, very aggressively because they can get a better return on investment buying in shares than they can um, than they can investing in their own business, which is a strong possibility, in which case you could have a, a $10, $15 share, which is why we're keeping a third on because we want to participate. But um, you know, one of the things we loved so much about Cooper Standard was the amount of respect that they treated equity. They could have done the same dumb deal and issued, you know, uh, 40 million shares at the bottom in 2020 or 2022 to raise capital uh, with the short, short, mind, short term mindset and then issued themselves a bunch of options and screwed all the shareholders. But they didn't do that. 
And um, now this is a new CEO, but there's only so much earnings power. Yes, the China is just getting back online. Yes, the engine servicing hours are just getting started. Yes, yes, yes. But I do think, you know, basically right now, the stock in in the stock in 2017 terms um, is trading at $15 a share. So we've already gotten the recovery if they had had the same share count, and that's why we're 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 take, we're ringing the register and we're keeping a free option because this guy's doing a great um execution and we do think there's more upside but we'll we'll have that upside for free and um and and uh and book a book a big win uh in a short period of time so that's an update on that one so uh tomorrow when everyone sells it off maybe we'll buy it back <laughs> i'm kidding well you never know but uh so here's on the small nuclear nuclear reactors um but th but that's where it is in other words to put it short to put it simply we're getting credit for the best case scenario right now and we do think it can be better than the best case scenario which is why we're going to keep some flyer on whether that continues to be a third or a little more or a little less we have yet to determine but we just think that that you know this thing has been straight up for the last nine months and um based on the amount of shares outstanding it's it's pretty damn good um so kudos on that front and for those kudos to those who have been with us uh since last year and uh, had had booked a huge win on that as well um okay here's some charts from slumer over at RBC, thanks to my buddy who sends it over. So you can see as much as the S&P is flying, it really does look like, a, you know, kind of a cup and handle consolidation pattern that we're going to get back up to 4,800 uh, and then probably break out and start to work higher over time. And um, we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about the short term in terms of early December and, you know, how we might have a little cooling before we uh, make a make a run towards 4800 but all the conditions are, are set here's a smaller version of that chart uh, both on the nasdaq and uh so we're getting we're going to bump up against a lot of resistance here overhead supply i don't want to get all technical with you because it it really doesn't matter in the scheme of things but when i speak um constructively about the future and then in the next two weeks you get some weakness people go oh what is he you know th this is it's the same thing when I was speaking constructively down here and no one wanted tech and semiconductors. And then in March, when everyone was puking and I was saying, guys, this is the time to fund your accounts. Let's go. And a lot of you did. And we rocked. And then in October and November, those of you who funded last week, congratulations. And those of you who funded in October, uh, it's huge. This is just getting going. And by the way, if you didn't listen to last week's videocast podcast because you're on holiday, that was probably one of the most important ones of the year, uh, and that's an evergreen. So I would go back and listen to that before I even listen to this week's, uh, in in my humble opinion. Um, so all the things that we were counting on to come into place when people thought we were nuts over the uh, summer, when we were saying that yields were going to compress, well, we did. We compressed now down to 430, down from five, um, and um, and that's why you saw you know, what was the, one of the most incredible months uh, I've ever seen in the business uh, in November. 
Um, and this is just getting started, but now you're down to this support level. So we'll probably bounce around here between, you know, four and 480 for uh, four and 440 for, for some time. Uh, but the key is the direction and that's that's moving in the right direction. And then regional banks, I thought I thought this was interesting. Uh, some of the lagging sectors here, you know, we've got our industrial exposure with um, Stanley Black and Decker and uh, Generac. And, you know, someone sent me an email is Stanley Black and Decker a trade. Um, just go back and listen to last week. We spent an hour on it. We don't do that for trades. That that's a long term play. And we actually go through many of the positions that we've talked about uh, and, and the outlook that we see. Um, our change of course with um, Rolls-Royce was not really any change in optimism moving forward. And we do actually believe he's going to deliver on the three billion pounds of free cash flow by 2027, um, which is why we're keeping a, a decent piece on. Um, it's just the, the share count already priced that in. It already priced in a full recovery and they're not yet at a full recovery. So uh, if they're going to give me credit or slightly more credit than, you know, peak earnings in 2017, uh, I'm going to ring the register and I'm going to put it in things that uh, uh, are, are just just getting going. And uh, and here's some some industries that are just getting going besides emerging markets in China, which we'll talk about. But the regional bank index, everyone knows we were buying huge um uh kre deep in the money long dated uh premium on kre those are up huge at, uh, off this rebound uh and those that's going to keep continue and this is basically a proxy for the small cap index we think that's going to be a monster small caps by the way outperform in december so i think we're going to see continued follow-through in the regional banks and in the small cap index not only through december but into 2024, I think we're going to see some outperformance. I think healthcare is going to start to tick up. You're seeing biotech in the last week have a monster run. It went back and tried to test those uh, lows from last May. It didn't quite get there. And then it's just taken off like a bat out of hell in the last month. Um, so all those pieces are coming together, which is why we always say patience and no leverage. And sooner or later, every single position works. You get the Rolls Royces that are triples in basically a year, you get the uh, Cooper standards, which are, you know, four and four, basically three and a half, four baggers in just over a year. And then you get the, the ones that just take forever, like Alibaba, which has done nothing for over a year. But um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, all right, here's some seasonality going into the Santa Claus rally. So the Russell 2000, which is the small caps on average is up 3.2% uh, basically in the December month from Thanksgiving through uh, the new year. So that's where you get your juice versus the S&P 2.57. So we had a monster run in November. So this might be a little bit more subdued, but these are both 80% win rates. So I wouldn't count it out, particularly on the small caps, which are really just getting going. Uh, and then you look at total money market fund assets. Everyone got sold a bill of goods this year. If you just go into T-bills and collect 5%, uh, in the meantime, they missed big runs in equities. Um, and then rate expectations have completely flipped upside down. Uh, now expectations for this time next year are that we'll have three cuts, which is mind boggling when you think about it. People were saying that we had to go over six. 
and uh, even some major bankers saying we'd go to you know seven or whatever. Uh, it, it just doesn't look like that's in the cards. And um, that's that. All right, moving on to China. China's Alipay to sell its stake in India's Zumato for nearly $400 million. So, you know, these are just the pieces. So what does that mean? Well, we own a third of um, Ant Financial through as shareholders of Alibaba. So that's basically, you know, $133 million that we didn't know we had just accrues to the bottom line. You know, and, and it's just... There's so much of this embedded, that's that's no credit. It's just one more piece. China's seen unleashing $319 billion of special bond quota early, which is basically $319 billion of quantitative easing. Uh, and that's been part of our premise. Chinese firms set for best earnings growth in seven years in 2024. I'll repeat that again. China firms set for best earnings growth in seven years in 2024. That's uh, Reuters analysis of uh, 1,721 Chinese companies with a market value of at least 500 million show their profits may rise 16% next year, the highest since 2017 when profits rose 20.9%. And that's in a pessimistic outlook environment. Wait till they actually start to deliver uh, and then everyone will get on board. Okay, House prepares to, oh, this is important. House prepares to drop China investment curbs from the defense bill. Um, if you remember the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act, well, they've completed all their um, um, explorations and they've uh, done the fines and that's done. And then Financial Services Chair Patrick McHenry opposes the amendment that would have put restrictions on investing in China tech from uh, US uh, citizens and um, congressional negotiators were poised to abandon plans to use the annual defense policy to tighten controls on new investment in Chinese technologies, according to people familiar with the discussions. Uh, McHenry is blocking the measure that would require firms to notify the government about certain investment in China and other countries of concern, according to people. So that's positive news. And then finally, uh, P PCAOB to inspect 100% of China auditors, foreign investors return. So it said, uh, okay, PC U.S. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, PCAOB, announced fines for auditors, PWC Hong Kong and PWC China, resulting from the on-the-ground on the audit reviews this year and last. The silver lining here is that in the same release, the board confirmed it will be able to inspect all auditors of U.S listed Chinese companies after being granted full access in 2022. Quote, together the firms we inspected in 22 and 23 audited 99% of the total market cap of US listed companies audited by Hong Kong and mainland China firms. And we are on track to inspect firms that audited 100% of the total market cap by the end of 2024. Um, with most indicators pointing to a long pause in rate hiking by the US Fed and some analysts even anticipating rate cuts next year, investors are turning more bullish on emerging market equities. We've seen a flurry of research reports recommending China allocations for the first time in at least a year as banks and asset managers begin to publish their 2024 outlooks. This is already being reflected in the performance of Chinese currency versus the US dollar. The RMB has gone from the RMB has gone from 729 per USD to 714 in two weeks. We're going to actually discuss that. Um, so all the things that were knockdowns in the last year are now becoming tailwinds. 
Uh, U.S. chip export ban is hurting China AI startups, not so much the giants yet. And the reason is, is because they've actually bought uh, $4 billion worth of chips before this went into effect. And that's going to give them ample time to develop um, their own chips. And we've already seen signs of that. And at least uh, maybe not perfectly as advanced as nvidia or what intel is going to be putting out which by the way intel is just on, on a rocket ship and that that's probably getting closer to the point where we're going to take a piece off as well because that's doubled in like uh less than a year just about a year now uh we'll make sure those are long-term capital gains we're not quite there yet but um that thing is moving like nobody's business and then we'll keep a piece on for the ai dream but if they're going to give us full credit for 100% PC and server recovery, we're going to take it um, and redeploy in things that are just leaving the station. So we're getting a lot of baggers here. Uh, slowly but surely, they're now being harvested, which is pretty exciting. Um, and then uh, next, China races to end properly panic and fill the $446 billion gap. So they're going to do more loans that, you know, since San Francisco, they're basically um, doing whatever it takes. Alibaba's Eddie Wu places strategic bets on platforms, AI and global networks are laying out the plan and uh, a reemphasis of uh, lifting its return on invested capital back to double digits over the next couple of years. Xi Jinping champions digital trade as China kicks off global e-commerce expo. Uh, so he's out and about uh, endorsing now consumption and e-commerce, the exact opposite of last year, of 2022. And then uh, what was the point that I wanted to give here? Oh, this is interesting. So Pinduoduo is the new darling in China and it reported earnings and they, and they're, and they crushed it and they're, they're flying. Um, the thing is, so their market cap is now approaching Alibaba's market cap. And I think the people getting caught up in the hype are, are realizing, you know, price is what you pay, value is what you get. Um, Alibaba is generating four times as much. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, about four, just about four times, three and a half to four times as much free cash flow. And they're now both trading around the same market cap. So, um, you know, you can chase those things and, and you can run momentum. I'll leave that to the gamblers. As far as Alibaba goes, they've got more than enough cash. They're investing. They're making the changes. Jack Ma is involved. He was out saying, congratulations to Pinduoduo. We're making the changes, et cetera. So, uh, and I like the I like the free option on the cloud and all the other businesses, the Costco of China, you know, Ant Financial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, with China, I was always looking for the most outs and the most opportunities, uh, most value for each dollar invested. And that's what we have. Uh, and it will be realized when we don't know. But uh, we're happy to sit back and watch the rest of the portfolio take off while uh, until that one wants to participate in all the fun. Um, all right. What else here? Uh, I find... Okay, uh, Alibaba Chairman Joseph Tsai. Uh, uh, the cloud division is at the heart of Alibaba's AI initiatives, uh, has released its own large language model and is investing in high-flying startups. Uh, Joe Tsai said last month, the cloud unit now hosts half of China's generative AI firms 
and serves about 80% of the country's technology companies. So when I say that we believe um, AI, that Alibaba could be the best AI play in China and maybe in the world based on valuation, uh, we do it on the basis of selling the picks and the shovels. So th this whole AI craze is going to be phenomenal, okay? Just like uh, in in all fairness, uh, all the in the 20s when you had all the car companies, you had like 800 something car companies, three made it. Uh, the same will be true with all the AI companies. But the key is Alibaba is the best positioned in China to sell the picks and the shovels to all of these startups that are all going to go compete themselves to death. And they're going to just provide the picks and the shovels with the compute power, which is CPU, which they've got plenty of processing for. And the AI, which is GPU, which they'll, you know, right now they have the, the best chips, but, you know, in a year, if they don't design uh, comparable chips, they'll be one generation behind uh, the U.S. But that's fine because they're still going to have the vast majority of the Chinese market, which is why we're investing uh, and so on. So, um, so that's the story there. PC uh, Chinese style quantitative easing emerges as property fix options. So they're going to print money. Uh, and they're going to solve that problem and ev everyone's going to say what happened and all of a sudden they're going to be off to the races. Uh, China's Beige Book Revenue and Profits Index uh, tracking profit private companies rebounded after two months of declines across sectors with services seeing the biggest improvement as luxury goods saw a big jump in sales volume growth. That's a big change. Singles Day, China's version of Black Friday likely helped. Factory activity also picked up, helped by an increase in export orders, especially from Asia in November. Uh, beleaguered property market is still struggling. So we've talked about the solve for is that. Uh, individual investors, okay, now on to the US stuff. Individual investors pull the most cash from US stocks in two years. This was written on November 9th. Guess what month they pulled all of that cash? They pulled $16 billion from equities in the month of October. They sold in the hole at the lows and missed one of the best months since 1985 in the history of the stock market. Um, little... A couple quotes from Charlie Munger. You know, when I was looking up to do the segment on Yahoo, I came across a quote. Uh, someone asked him, you know, who was he most grateful for in his life? And in pure Charlie acerbic wit, he said, I'm most grateful for my second wife's first husband. And he said, the reason is, is I had the ungrudging love of, of this magnificent wo woman for 60 years simply by being somewhat less awful than he was. <laughs> so that's Charlie in a nutshell. Uh, the first rule of happy life is low expectations. Uh, as I said in the clip, I did not intend to get rich. I wanted to get independent. I just overshot. Uh, and um, uh, those, are, those are some of the keys. And then lifelong learning is paramount long-term success. He always says, you won't find someone who's super successful or very wise that doesn't read a lot. We agree. Um, just trying to see. And this was a, this was one that stuck out for me. And that's kind of been my philosophy because a lot of people say, why do you put out all this great content for free? And I, and I basically always respond. I said, you know, if it wasn't for Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger putting out their content for free and being willing to share what's made them successful uh, and Ben Graham before them, I wouldn't have a career. And they completely changed my life uh, because I not only read it like 99% of people, but I actually followed it like 1% of people. And uh, and it's it's 
I love what I do and I've been rewarded because I followed a philosophy and a framework that works consistently over and over and over. And the only thing I had to bring to the table was discipline and the patient's DNA. And I and, and unfortunately, I thought that could be learned. I don't think it can be learned. I think it, it it's actually part of DNA. Like you're just genetically um, set up to be a patient person and um, not respond to daily emotion or you're not. And, um, you know, I, I just got the luck of the role in terms of DNA for doing what I do, which happens to be a very well compensated uh, way to make a living uh, if you have that gene. So <laughs> that's all I could tell you. But um, this is why I do that, do what I do each week. And um, and I learn from the masters. Um, the best best thing a human being can do is to help another human being know more and if i've been able to contribute in a very small way on that front i'm not, certainly not comparing myself to warren in or charlie they're two of a kind that will never be replicated in any way uh, but if i've added some value by relaying the lessons that i've learned from them and some of my own special sauce uh then then that's that, that's that's been very worthwhile um, okay, inflation hits lowest level since 2021. Fed's preferred gauge shows. There's my buddy Rochelle Akufo over at Yahoo. And then inflation keeps falling. Uh, it may fuel rate cut rally ahead of the actual cuts. That's from Jack Denton over at Barron's. And then here are the expectations for the Fed to have turned around in five weeks. So Five weeks ago, on October 18th, the expectation were for a hike in December, a hike in January, and a hike in March. Now it's no hikes and then a cut in March, uh, followed by consecutive cuts all the way down to um, 219 Fed funds rate. I'm sorry. No. Uh, all the way down to five cuts, five cuts by January 2025, which I think is uh, very aggressive. So here's where they all sold in the hole in October. Here's what happened, best month since 1985. Um, and then long, short, long Santa short, the Grinch stock market and sentiment results. So we've got a lot of good stuff to cover here. Uh, we already covered the media. Um, this is, so I, I wanted to clarify that with all the huge gains in November, beginning widespread exuberance, the historic data supports some level of weakness in early December before a final year end Santa rally. Here are two takes. One is quantitative based on data since 1950, uh, and one is qualitative. So the data since 1950 is from, uh, Jeff Hirsch of the stock traders almanac. And you can see here since 1950, you're flat. You have a little uh, choppiness and a little down mid-month, and then you just rip in the second half of the uh, month um, with, uh, obviously, the small caps outperforming. And then Tom Lee is talking about we would peak today on the uh, inflation and then probably down into the jobs reports, with, which is uh, uh, December 8th. Uh, on expectations of that. And we're looking for, that's interesting though. I'm not sure why it wouldn't be tomorrow. Uh, we'll check that, but let, let's just assume that's correct. And it's December 8th. Um, you really wanna see non-farm payrolls uh, below 200,000. You wanna see average hourly earnings below 0.3, three or below and uh, CPI uh, month on month plus 0.2. 
uh, and that would lead to, um, you know, rally into the FOMC, maybe some hawkish talk, I guess he's guessing here, into the CPI print. Uh, and then uh, rallying up to 4,800 before the end of the year. So, I mean, that's a pretty aggressive uh, best guess. I think it lines up with history in terms of I don't know if it's going to be this aggressively volatile, but I could certainly see a lot of indecision and chop the first half until we get through that uh, CPI and then take off. And I, and I do agree with him. I think we're going to hit highs for the year. Um, I don't know about all-time highs before the end of the year, but certainly highs, highs for the year uh, before the end of the year, which will be a nice uh, way to bring in the holidays. Um and then on to 3M. So what we're trying to do each week is get caught up on a number of the companies we've been talking about uh, on the podcasts and video casts previously. And uh, 3M developments, so they had a big um, win, legal win this week. They defeated a massive class action over the PFAS Forever Chemicals. Um, and what the judge said was that uh, there are thousands of companies that have manufactured PFAS, but the the uh, class only listed 10 as defendants. So uh, he found that, uh, as he said, seldom is so ambitious a case filed on so light, so slight a basis. I think that's going to serve them well moving forward. A 3M spokesperson said the company is pleased with the decision. Uh 3M agreed to pay $10.3 billion to settle hundreds of claims. The company polluted public drinking water with chemicals. Uh, that's already done. And then the, uh, um, the earplugs we'll talk about. So basically their earnings was a margin enhancement story. So they got massive op op operational discipline. Their top line is was down a bit. So that we want to see start to flourish again. They're spinning off the fastest growing healthcare part of the business. So we're going to get the benefit of a new multiple applied to that. Uh, plus, um, as the um, top line starts to inflect, their margins have improved so much that, that you're going to see money just start to pour to the bottom line. So all that stuff is constructive. Uh, but the key highlights, strong operational execution, uh, uh, increased the uh, full year guidance, both on earnings and on cash flow expectations. Cash flow is most important to us uh, through the restructuring actions and the proactive spending discipline. Uh, they'll complete the spin next year, which is good. They announced the combat arms settlement and that received preliminary court approval for uh, the, the PFAS water agreement. So the, they're starting to get certainty around all the legal stuff is getting. And that's why you saw the stock up this this uh, month from $84 to, uh, I don't know where it closed, $99. Yeah, $99 today. So it's, it's starting to move. And just to put that in perspective, you can't even see it on the map. But, you know, 84 to 99 is a big move. But again, it's it, this thing is just getting started. This will eventually work its way back up over time. Um, so, uh, okay, positioning first for a solid close in 2023. 
Our actions led to underlying earnings ahead of our expectations, as well as better than expected margins and cash flow. That's from Mike Roman. Um, all right, so let's look through some of this. All right, they, their adjusted operating margin expanded by 1.6 percentage points. That's pretty solid. Operating cash flow of $1.9 billion, up 25% year on year. Adjusted free cash flow of $1.9 billion, which was up 39%. So their free cash flow was up 39% year on year. That's a big deal. Uh, they returned $828 million to shareholders via dividends. That was a chronic concern that they were going to have to cut their dividend. But... When you're generating two billion of free cash flow, 828 uh, million of dividends is lunch money, I guess, uh, and they're and they're going after it. And that's after they paid off all the they paid out. I think 5.8 billion. The rest of it's over time. So they're moving on to to bigger and better things. Um, raised guidance. Uh, so they're going to earn. Uh, 895 to 915 versus 860 to 910 prior. That's pretty good. I mean, if you consider this a, you know, it was a $90 stock, which means it was basically trading at 10 times. Now it's trading at 11 times. Uh, and um, uh, operating cash flow is adjusted. Uh, where's opera? Where's free cash flow? All right. Well, they have operating cash flow. Uh, going to be between 6.5 to 6.9 billion dollars for the year, and their previous range was 5.9 to 6.3. So that the cash operating cash flows jumped quite a bit. Uh, their organic sales were down three percent. So I don't love that, but I think that a stock down from 200 to 84 kind of reflects a slowdown of uh, uh, anticipated slowing of growth. So <laughs> I think uh, a lot of that's already been priced in and we may start to see some reacceleration in some of their business because you'll see they got hit with the masks uh, business down and everything else. Um, let's take a look here. So free cash flow we covered, dividends we return at capital. On um, the safety and industrial, their operating margin was up 250 basis points year on year, 350 basis points sequentially on their transportation electric electronics. Their operating margin was up 460 basis points and 650 basis points sequentially. These are huge. This is huge operational discipline. Now they just got to add the top line and this thing's going to be an earnings beast. Uh, and then you're going to start to see multiple expansion now that they got margin expansion. All they need is a little top line stability and we're off to the races. Uh, operating margin up 50 basis points in healthcare, 240 basis points. That's the one they're going to spin. Uh, and consumer. Uh, wasn't uh, they didn't. They had restructuring costs, so they didn't really accomplish anything in the consumer. That's that's been a headwind. Um, that's the increased guidance. You can see here the transportation and electronics is basically flat year on year. Even the safety and industrial, it's it's down, but not materially. Healthcare is flat year on year, and consumer is down. Consumer is the one that's pretty weak uh, year on year. So if you look on a granular basis, you can see where that weakness is. Uh, kind of a 
bigger drop in the masks, uh, which makes sense. Uh, $26 million drop in masks, uh, industrial adhesives and tapes. So that's worth looking into. That's down, you know, good uh, 8% or so. Uh, you don't like to see that. Uh, personal safety. So again, that's kind of off different comps. Uh, roofing granules were up. Uh, advanced material. Okay, so that was um, now in the transportation group. Advanced materials was down. Automotive was up huge. Automotive's up like 20%, which is in line with our um, Cooper Standard thesis. Uh, commercial solutions down modestly. Uh, electronics is down big. So that's still like handsets, all the stuff that was bought. I think that's going to fall in line with the inventory peak story that for most companies happened in Q1 and Q2. So we'll see how that starts to play out. That could have a nice rebound, coiled spring, transportation safety, flattish. Um, All right. And then in the consumer group. So what's getting hurt in the consumer group is construction and home improvement markets. Okay. We saw a little bit of that in Home Depot. That probably is related to rates. Uh, now rates are coming down. That could be a coiled spring. And then stationary in office. I mean, that's down modestly. It's interesting. That's what people identify with the company, but it's such a small percentage of overall revenues. It's 321 million out of 8.3 billion. <laughs> That's what people know. Um, third consecutive quarter of double-digit year-on-year growth in free cash flow. That's all I want to hear. That, that for me, is the most important part. The rest is noise, and we'll go through some of these, and you can read through it on your own. Uh, proactively and effectively managing litigation. We announced the combat arms settlement and are working with all parties. Uh, to implement it, uh, the settlement administration process has been established and funded, and the bellwether trial verdicts have been settled, and the process for notifying and settling with claimants has begun. With respect to PFAS, the public water settlement we announced last quarter, received preliminary court approval. We successfully resolved objections from the state attorneys general and are working toward approval with the final hearing set for February of next year. Um, our Automotive OEM business continues to outperform the market with double-digit growth this year uh, and has delivered organic growth of 30% year-to-date. So again, that's in line with the Cooper Standard. Uh, lower cost, better margins, greater cash generation. And there we go. Uh, just the DBS. Okay, so that's everything you need to know. Now, Crown Castle, the cell phone tower business, which we talked about on this podcast. We also were on Charles Payne before the activists got involved. And this thing has taken off. I don't know where it closed today, but it was up to like $116, up from $84 in the last month. It's up, I think, close to 25% or 30% for the last six weeks. This thing's a beast. Uh, yeah, it has to do with the activists, but what was our primary thesis? Rates are coming down and REITs are going to fly. Well, look, uh, Vernado's up from $12 and $13 to $24. Uh, um, uh, and CCI is now now up from, uh, looks like about $85, $84.72 to $115 or $116 in you know, a matter of weeks. And just beginning, by the way. 
Uh, and the share count hasn't gone crazy. So we're going to be in this one for a long time. Um, okay. So Paul Singer announced literally three, four days, three days ago that they are, they've begun a new activist campaign um, on Crown Castle. So this is the letter on November 27th from Elliot to the board. They were an activist in 2020. The stock went up and they got out. Uh, now they're back in and they say they've made a new investment of $2 billion in Crown Castle. By the way, if you note something, all, basically all the stocks we're in, we're getting followed by activists. I'm not saying that they all listen to our podcast and are like, wow, Tom's into this and it's cheap. Maybe we'll go do an activist campaign. I mean, it could very well be because word travels around pretty quickly on Wall Street, but more likely than not, they're seeing the same things that we're seeing. Okay, so with Disney, now you have Pelton, now you have Value Act in after the fact. Uh, with Crown Castle, you have uh, Elliott Management. And then with the others like VF Corp, you have Bracken Darrell, new CEO. And that's all really an, an activist does is they just bring in new management to better operate a, a mismanaged great asset. Um, so you've got uh, the turnaround already in place for VF Corp. You got the turnaround already in place for um, uh, Advanced Auto Parts. You got the turnaround already in place for PayPal. All have new management that have come in. Uh, some from activists, some just because the board finally figured out they better make a change. Uh, and that's when we like to, when turnaround Tom likes to get involved. But no one wants it and something's bound to change. And these are the type of things that change. Um, all right, so now they've got a $2 billion investment, making them one of the largest investors in the company. This management team has remained committed to value destructive strategy. So they basically criticize, 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 say we want a place on the board, we want to replace management because they stink, and we want to sell off non-productive assets, all the things that you want to see as a shareholder. Um, Crown Castle's underperformed its direct peers in every time period over the last 15 years, despite owning similar high quality tower assets. Uh, uh, they spent $19 billion on their fiber strategy and they're generating yields um, that are below its cost of capital uh, and below the risk-free rate of return. Uh, they're questioning the stability of Crown Castle's dividend, which is why the stock was down 100%, uh, not 100%, uh, 60%. And a change is required at Crown Castle, and we're committed to doing our part to ensure that shareholders get the change they deserve. Uh, irresponsible stewardship and flawed financial policy, magnitude of underperformance, underperformance direct peers by an average of 85% in total return, which translates to nearly $26 billion of unfulfilled shareholder value. We believe shareholders deserve better. They're going to restore the castle, play on words, ha, ha, ha. Uh, make the case directly with shareholders. In other words, cooperate with us or we will force you to cooperate with us. He wants a new CEO and new board leadership. Uh, and um, uh, and he wants them to uh, abort the fiber strategy, which has yielded a paltry 6% return on invested capital. They want that to get back up to double digits. We agree. Um, and those are the same type of actions you're seeing in Alibaba, by the way. They're going to be selling off all these non-productive, non-core assets that aren't even accounted for in the price. Like you saw today with the tomato thing, we got a free $130 million of value that we didn't even know that we had as owners. And the same thing's going to happen with Crown Castle. Um, and um, management must be held accountable. So they just go through 
what they've done wrong, how they've underperformed, why management needs to go, uh, the returns of their peers relative to their returns because the peers pursued productive strategies by expanding internationally when the U.S. market got saturated, and uh, they, they pursued an unproductive strategy, which is the fiber and the small cells, uh, but they still have some of the best domestic towers uh, in the highest income areas in the country, which will be, you know, require very little maintenance, very little capex, and will continue to just throw off billions of cash in coming years. So they'll probably sell the fiber, replace the CEO, and the stock will be up 50% in a few months, and then we'll hold it till it's up 100 or 120% and call it a day uh, and rinse and repeat. So. Uh, the board responded to Elliot, we seek to better understand their perspectives on our strategy, performance, and business objectives. All they have to do is read the 50-page deck. It's pretty clear. Uh, you've done nothing right. It's time for a change. Uh, commencing a constructive agreement with, uh, engagement with Elliot. Okay. So now moving on to Alibaba update. We did an hour on Alibaba uh, segment by segment last week. So again, go back and listen to that. The Chinese, uh, the development is the Chinese have begun strengthening the Yuan. Uh, if you look at the solid black line circled in green below. So since they spoke in San Francisco, you can see the Yuan's gone straight up here. As a matter of fact, I can probably show it a little bit better without all the lines over it. Um, so you can see. By the way, I am, I think I'm, uh, let's see. Anyway, I'm pretty sure I'm scheduled to be on Charles Payne Fox Business tomorrow at 2 p.m. So tune in if you don't already tune in daily. But you can see here since they spoke, um, the Chinese Yuan relative to the US dollar so they've started to strengthen the yuan, and this is quite a big move in a few weeks, and I think it's just the beginning. And what does that mean um, is, okay, so it's begun to rise since Xi speak at the APEC meeting. In the face of strong tension with the US, uh, Xi claimed that with his words, that China was ready to, quote, be a partner, to, quote, be a friend to the U.S. He spoke of a peaceful co coexistence, cooperation, and, quote, mutual respect. He vowed to, quote, never pursue hegemony or expansion, end quote. Words are one thing, but it was immediately followed up with action this time. See the green circle, blah, 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 to understand the yuan moving up uh, straight up off 15-year lows. A stronger yuan makes China's exports less competitive. So why would they do that? Uh, this is an olive branch potentially in exchange for future tariff reduction. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, because basically once uh, Trump put on all the tariffs, they said, okay, we'll just devalue our currency by the amount of tariffs you put on so there's no change and we don't become less competitive as an exporter. Um, second order effect. But Alibaba's stock price has outperformed during periods of rising yuan and collapsed during periods of weakening yuan. Will the $28.1 billion, which was the free cash flow they generated in the last four quarters, um, or 27% growth uh, last quarter alone, uh, and Chinese market cloud leadership start to matter once again? We're going to find out shortly. Just to put things in perspective, if the exchange rate alone were to revert back to 2017 levels, 
that same $28.1 billion of free cash flow becomes $33.12 billion without any business improvement. If we continue to grow at 27%, uh, which the last four quarters average growth was higher than, uh, you're at $42 billion of annualized free cash flow. Add the net cash on the balance sheet, 60 some, uh, $63 billion uh, when you back out the debt you could buy in the entire company in three years. So what does that hypothetical look like? Here's a generic table from Monish Prabhai. Um, this is the return you get without a change in earnings or a change in the PE multiple. Uh, if you buy in 50% of the, the uh, shares, you get a double. If you buy in 67%, uh, you get a three-bagger. 80%, you get a five-bagger. 90% of 10 bagger. It gets interesting after 80%. That's when these things start to go exponential. Um, I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to, but it gives you an idea of the amount of cash that they have. Uh, certainly they'll invest some to stay number one in the cloud and grow some of their businesses, et cetera. But at some point they're going to just start returning the cash because, you know, if they get, they'll be over a hundred billion dollars, it, it'll start to get ridiculous. So all the best fundamentals in the world won't matter until they do. We spent an hour on Alibaba's fundamental developments in the future last week. As the rest of the portfolio is appreciated materially, the percentage weight of Alibaba has declined quite a bit, uh, despite no change in shares held. So where appropriate and below our position size thre threshold, uh, we added size and in some cases very aggressively uh, did so personally as well in the past couple of days in order to get Alibaba back up to a meaningful weight in the portfolio. Uh, and that's that. So we continue to be in this sideways thing in 2022, the bottomed at 73 uh, in 2020. That was early 2022. Then we got the flush last October when we put on a big buy at 58. And now we're back to 75, I believe. So it looks like we're retesting that other shoulder. So we'll see how that plays out. But will good things happen before the end of the year for Alibaba? Who knows? There may be some more tax loss harvesting in early December if there are actually any sellers left. I doubt it. I'm perfectly content to let the company bank cash and then buy in shares all day long while the rest of the portfolio continues to appreciate. I'll wait as long as it takes. As long as they're generating that, you know, that type of cash flow yield, you can't replicate it anywhere else for that quality of a business. One day people will wake up to the fact that the share counts down 50% and the stock is up 4x. Uh, when they come to that realization and are scrambling to chase the stock up, we'll be happy to help them out with all the new and old stock we own. Until then, we'll sit on our hands and wait. Why? Because there's no better alternative high quality business with similar upside to replicate a current 21.8% free cash flow yield. It's just staggering. 21.8% free cash flow yield right now. You just take the market cap, was down to 190 billion yesterday, plus the debt, 23 billion, back out the cash. You're at 129 billion divided by the free cash flow of 28.1, uh, and you get a 21.8 free cash flow yield. Find me a better growing business I can buy with the 21.8% free cash flow yield committed to restoring double digit return on invested capital. And I'll listen. I've never seen a better quality business with more upside optionality temporarily available at such a low price in my career. So in the words of the great master, Charlie Munger, quote, the big money is in not in the buying or selling, but in the waiting, followed up by, quote, it's waiting that helps you as an investor. And a lot of people just can't stand to wait. 
If you didn't get the deferred gratification gene, you've got to work very hard to overcome that. Unfortunately, I think I got two copies of the deferred gratification gene. Um, and then here were my thoughts on Charlie Munger and Reuters. Quote, I think what may be most underestimated about Charlie was his willingness to generously share his intellect and thought processes. The, uh, he positively impacted so many people around the world. It certainly had an immense impact on how I think about investing. I think the big change that Charlie brought to the value investing community was not just looking for what was cheap, but looking for what was out of favor, but high quality, which means buying businesses that were still compounding capital, not just that you could buy at a discount to liquidation value. That was an immense contribution. Quote, he was a wealthy guy and he didn't have to share it. Uh, he didn't have to spend time speaking public. He gained nothing by doing so, yet he was unrelentingly generous with his time, intellect, philosophy, and secrets, end quote. Rest in peace, Charlie. You'll be missed. So now on to the shorter term view for the general market. Uh, sentiment's getting a little bit overdone here. Uh, bullish percent was at 48.8 this week. Uh, bearish percent down to 19.6. So you can see, you know, we could certainly get some consolidation here or a shakeout, but you can also see that after big drawdowns, uh, you can get these bouts of exuberance. And while they cool off, it doesn't consolidate that much and the trend just keeps going up for years. I think that's kind of where we are. We'll probably consolidate a little bit the first two weeks and then, you know, work, work back up to new highs in 2024. Uh, fear and greed is less pronounced, but still greedy at 64. And the National Association of Active Investment Managers got up to 78, which is well below kind of peaks of over 100, but it's getting up there. Energy earnings, top 30 weights of the sector in the last 30 days, 60 days, the estimates were revised up <coughs> by 30 basis points for this year and 39 basis points for next year. Uh, defense and aerospace were revised up 53 basis points uh, and down seven basis points for next year. So basically flat. Um, we've gone through most of the um, economic data. And then if you want to see where the earnings growth is going to be in calendar year 2024, it's going to be in healthcare, which is the most hated right now, which we covered earlier. So there will be opportunities and embedded in that we believe is going to be an enormous opportunity for uh, biotech, which has started to rip off the bottom since rates have come down. Uh, and um, uh, we think that we think emerging markets in China are going to be monsters. And uh, so look through healthcare, communication services, even infotech and industrials with Generac and uh, Stanley Black and Decker and consumer discretionary for your outperformers in terms of earnings growth, and then look for the ones that have opportunity that are still growing, which we cover quite a few on these weekly podcast video casts. All of this is opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com, and at the top, you can click on terms. You can click on contact if you wanna reach out to us. Uh, you can see all, all the stuff here, money management, about, et cetera, for those of you who are new. And then, um, There's the, that, and on to the Ask Me Anything question. So the podcast is over for the week. Uh, we're gonna now do the Ask Me Anything questions for any of you who wanna stay for extra credit. Uh, you're welcome to join. And let's get a little water here from my friends uh, out in Dallas who sent me these incredible mugs. This one says hedge fund tips. That was for 
the 200th episode and then the Great Hill Capital one, which matches the background. I can just put it in front of my face and you'll it'll blend into the background. Um, all right. Let's get cooking. John Lee, what are your thoughts on Kutera? C-U-T-R. They've been hit pretty badly over the last year with a couple of incidents and the market's pretty pessimistic. Boardroom Brawl, CEO Taylor Harris seems to have a lot of experience in turnarounds. All right, let's take a look. This is probably a small cap that I'm not going to have much to say about, but let's take a look. Yeah, tiny company. Uh, let's take a look first at the balance sheet. I have to make this smaller so you guys can see the data somehow. There we go. That wasn't so hard. All right, so they got plenty of cash. $417 million of debt, $180 million of cash. And did they screw the shareholders? No. Shares are up modestly. Revenues have declined in the last 12 months. They've been flat for two years. What do they do? A medical device company, okay. Uh, uh, they've lost a hundred million of cash from operations in the last 12 months. Free cash flow, negative 145 million. Um, Yeah, this has never really been a good business uh, since 2018. I, I passed just because it's low in price. It's it's just, I, this is just a gambling trade and it might work and maybe it goes up to 10 bucks and if it does take your money and run, but um, that's it's not for me. I do like the idea of medical device companies, but we express that through Baxter. Uh, Anthony L, uh, what are your thoughts on Purple Mattress? I've never even heard of it. What the hell is that? Is that purple innovation? Let me see. Yeah. All right. So this is a 68 cent stock. Um, let's see. So they've gone from 8 million shares to 100 million shares. Uh, no. You can go play the trading game with this. These This management are a bunch of scumbags. And um, I can tell you that without even looking at the company. So hard pass. Um, but thank you. And that's not a reflection of you. I'm just telling you I've seen this movie before. It's a trading stock and maybe it goes to $15, but there's there's no value there. And these guys. And, and that's why we're taking our profits on. Um, Rolls Royce, but we're, we are keeping some skin in the game because new management is different than old management. So, and we do like the future. We think the business is going to continue to do really well. We just think a lot of it's already priced based on how many shares are outstanding relative to their expectations of future cash flow. So I hope, 
hope that uh, message came across. Um, and by the way, as far as these people go, um, <laughs> there was insider buying this year at much higher prices. Well, any management that increases the share count to from 8 million to 100 million, um, I'm not going to trust their judgment as to whether they're good allocators of capital. Um, yeah, so hard pass. But Anthony, thanks for checking it out. Um, all right, Paul asks about Edwards Life Sciences. We've talked about this one before and we own a little position in it. So that answers your question. Uh, if you missed that on previous ones, now you know. Um, yeah, that, this is a compounder. This got smashed with the Ozempic stuff. Um, yeah, generating huge cash flow consistently. And the stock is off. I'm not going to do a huge thing on this because it's... It's, this one's going to be a winner. This is a consistent compounder and um, and it's just getting off the mat. So yes, we like this. It's relatively small now, but this may get a lot bigger. We'll see. Um, and this, uh, again, just in summary, there's a lot to it, but um, has been a regular compounder capital for decades. And uh, that's not going to change. Yeah, I mean, consistent 20% plus return on capital. These guys are, th these are the antithesis of purple mattress, okay? If you put these two guys in the room, you know which one runs purple mattress and you know which one runs Ed Edward Life Science. I don't even need to give you a map. All right, on to the next. Um, so great, great uh, find on there, Paul Falcon. And then Jason Patel. Jason, by the way, did a great job. He went on a trip to Disney. He sent us all these pictures of Disney. The parks were just jammed up to the up to the gills every single ride. Um, even his conservative uh, mother-in-law loved it. And. Um, She's a big DeSantis fan. Uh, she's a Disney go woke, go broke, and yet she had the best time of her life. And she said they did a really good job. So look, all that's anecdotal, but it was very nice that you took the time to do that. And I'm glad more than anything, you had a great trip with your family and your kids. That's the most important thing. Um, but uh, uh, employees were happy, helpful, uh, great experience and super packed all the things we want to hear um brett bonner is stanley black and decker a trade or an investment uh, I, last week we spent uh two hours on that so uh yes it's an investment uh thanks for your question drew Byrne. uh hope you had a, a great time grateful for your thoughts on melco Melco Crown we had for a trade and it went up a lot. Uh, we we actually have been eyeing that to get back in. Um, uh, 
Let me see, LBS, what are these guys doing? And um, win. Yeah, I, uh, I'd i wait on Melco, see if it goes a little lower first. I mean, it's getting down there, but that's like the, th it's the lowest quality in Macau. So I'd rather own Las Vegas Sands or... Um, win but they're they're not they've already moved let's just see melco real quick <clears throat> st Yeah, free cash flow negative. I don't know. Uh, how's the balance sheet look? $1.5 billion. $7 billion, $7.7 billion. This will probably start to work as rates come down. Uh, they've got a pretty levered balance sheet. I think it's okay. I, I don't like... I, I think it's more of a trade than a business you want to hold. I mean, at five, I'd probably, I'd probably buy a decent amount. Um, I think this thing is just getting liquidated right now and probably will until the end of the year. So um, I'm a pass for now, but I do think that will will work um, moving forward. But if you can get by that time, if you can get win or Las Vegas Sands, I'd rather play that. Um, Joe Cook. Uh, you've alluded a few times to estimated exit prices for VNO. Will you, as the months and years go by, be sharing your exit prices of stocks and your video cast? Uh, yeah, my, my number one obligation is to my clients first. Um, so I would say this. Number one, you should not be in any stocks unless you already know where you're getting out before you're getting in. And number two... Um, and that should be on the basis of your work. I'm just sharing my framework. If you're not doing work and you're just buying stocks because you hear a ticker on a podcast or on a CNBC or on something like that, then you're doing yourself a disservice because you're never going to know when to go, go in. You're never going to know when to hold. You're going to get shaken out at the wrong time. You're going to chase up. So you got to do your own work. Um, we have no commitment to tell you when we're going in or out of anything, but we will usually share when we're done with a position um as we shared with um taking uh nice profits on rolls royce and why we did it and why we're holding some for the long term as a free option because as much as a lot is priced in we still want to participate uh we, because we do think the stock price is going to go a little bit higher there were just other things we wanted to do that uh, we think have gotten too cheap wink wink that uh, we want to have more exposure to so um Hope that answers your question. Uh, as far as the derivative overlays for clients, we express that on a bespoke basis for clients, uh, but we tend to do uh, long dated stuff and depending whether it's taxable or non-taxable, the expression is completely different. Um, JT Investor, 
Since evaluating management teams seems to be a core part of your underwriting, would you please share your thoughts on Alibaba's uh, management, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Josai is back. They kind of got the old band back together. Ma is still in the picture. As you saw this week, he was on the uh, internal message board uh, talking about Pinduoduo and what they need to do differently. So he's still got his hand on the wheel. Um, and Josai, I'm 100% uh, uh, behind. He was part of the original very smart guy. So I think they've got enough stable and they're getting rid of the dead weight. So on balance, look, would I love Jack Ma to say tomorrow, like, oh, she likes me now. I'm coming back to run the company. Yes. Is that going to happen? Probably not. I'd like Steve Jobs to, you know, rise from the dead as well. It's just not going to happen. So um, I think the business is good enough that it could run, be run by a ham sandwich, number one. And number two, I think it's cheap enough that the execution doesn't need to be perfect. That said, uh, without Jack Ma, I think they've got the best people now running the respective divisions that they can have running it. And uh, for that, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. And those a lot of those changes have happened in the last six months. Oleg Shakarov, uh, thoughts on Walgreens Boots Alliance at these levels? <sighs> Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of going to be last man standing. I don't love this business anymore because a lot of things are changing, but we could take a look at it. It's probably worth a trade at these levels. I don't know if this is something I want to hold forever. Um, Seven hundred million of cash, eight billion dollars of debt. So pretty leveraged balance sheet. So they're going to have to cut the dividend at some point, probably. Uh, top line still okay. Are they generating cash? Yeah, I mean they're free cash flow. It's really started to collapse. Um, it's a mediocre business at a beaten down price. I mean, I don't think I could make this a full position. I don't really like the business. Um, I think it'll probably work as a trade over the next 12 months, but I'm not going to participate. So I'll leave it there. Just that, that just comes from a lot of experience. That's more than, than what I'm kind of sharing. Uh, Jacob Angel asks about Luca mining. I generally don't do miners because they have an uncanny way to lose money. Even when the commodities go up, um, this is another penny stock. I, I don't do penny stocks either, um, but we'll take a quick look. So it's a Canadian penny stock, my favorite type of things. These are scam stocks usually, um, which we don't touch.
So revenues are going up. What do they mine? Uh, I think I forget what they mine. Um, might be silver. I, I'll I'll look it up. Anyway, um, cash from operations, free cash flow is negative. Balance sheet is pretty highly levered. Been a pretty consistent destroyer of capital. I don't want to be involved. This sounds like a penny stock trading scheme. Um, so um, I would never own this as a business, but on the basis of gold going up or some, so yeah, so it trades like this and you're looking, oh, is this the low? Probably is. And, it, and if it goes to six, you're going to make 24 times your money, but it's going to have nothing to do with fundamentals or being a durable business. So if you want to gamble with a small part of money, go for it. Um, as a business, I don't like it. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to pass, but I, I think this can, I think this will work as a trade. So on that basis, yes, but uh, not not for us. So, with that said, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, same time, same place. We might be a day early because the the Boston meet, but uh, we'll let you know on that. Uh, in the meantime, make it a great one. Bye for now.